Better late than never. Sometimes it's the news according to me. Well, it is Monday and it is noon. It is 12.04 p.m. on a Monday morning. Monday afternoon, I guess it's afternoon, so it's Eastern time. So we are, uh, it's, it's 11.04 Central time, which I'm not in Central time right now. I'm in Eastern time. I'm, I'm at the home studio. So you know what I've got in my cup this morning. For those of you who have been my faithful friends and listeners throughout the years of this podcast, I have, uh, what are we on now? Six, 600 and some episodes. I don't know what it is. Six, 620, something like that. Six, whatever it is. Quite a, quite a number of them. There's quite a few. They're adding up. Add up quickly. I've got uh, regular chai, even though I've already had some chai this morning. I actually got up early this morning, had breakfast, and then uh, went to a little meeting with some friends. Had chai, had chai at the, uh, but it wasn't the same. It just, and it's a smaller cup than what I, it's, it's just a, it was, I don't know. I don't think it was worth four bucks, but we'll just, you know, it, you're not just paying for the cup of chai. You're paying for the the atmosphere and the place to meet and all that stuff. You got to pay for all. You got to pay for the lights, you know, the bills, the people to make. The, you know, you got to pay all, all that stuff. I'm not, I'm not too. Just because I can do it cheaper at home, uh, there, there's more more to it than just that. It's, it's the experience of sharing a cup of something with a group of people you don't know. Um, some of them I didn't. I had never, I'd never met. See, there was there was how many of them there were. There was three three people there. There's five of us there, and four of them three three of them I've never met. And I was, I was, I've met myself and there was other, one other guy that I knew. <clears throat> However, um, it was, it was a good morning. It was a good, good time. We had spent a lot of time talking and that was, it was healthy. It's, it's just a mentally healthy thing to do. But this chai is just so much better. Um, and I have, of course I have Cinnabon cream or not Cinnabon. I have, I have, uh, Almond Joy creamer in there, but I also have a backup cup. And once in a while I have a, a backup cup with this and I happen to have this backup cup full of apple, apple cider this morning, which is kind of nice um, to sip on occasionally. <clears throat> it's kind of good for the uh, the old throat, the old pipes. Cider, apple cider has that kind of a kind of a cleansing, palate cleansing ability. But uh, yeah, a few things I want to talk about. I, I, di- I did talk a little bit about the Israeli Gaza issue last week. I haven't, haven't weighed in a lot on this. Um, there are some interesting uh, things in in the culture in Israel uh, that are uh, difficult to navigate, difficult to to deal with. Um, and I I want to get into that a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit about. Um, there's just so much going on. There's some things happening with Trump. The news media, right? Let's I'm just going to jump right into some of these things. The news media right now is just aghast that Donald Trump made said some things. And here we here we go again. It's just now Nikki Haley and some others have come out and said, you know, there. Of course, Mike Pence now has come out and said that Trump's remarks were irresponsible and reckless. Mike. Nobody cares what you it's what you think. What what are you pulling? One percent? Nobody cares what you think, Mike. I'm sorry. I you know, I like you. I, I, I wouldn't mind having you as a neighbor. But you know, let's let's just just lay it to rest. Just why are you still in this race? Chris Christie, of course, come out. It, well, you know, it's Trump. He's of course he's on MSNBC and CNN because he's he's basically paid a paid hack for them. They're using him. These people have no idea that they are useful idiots. When they when they get interviewed on CNN and MSNBC to come out against Trump, well, gee, big surprise there. The people who are most deluded about who Trump is, the, the biggest Trump derangement syndrome, that's all that motivates them is Trump derangement, derangement syndrome. And they, they come out, oh, I've got something to say about against Trump. Oh, well, let's put you on here. Look, we've got a Republican who's going to say something about Trump. Well, let's put them on. Let's splatter them all over the place. You're our friend today. Tomorrow you'll be, you know, if you actually get the nomination, you'll be the worst person on the planet. They would do the same thing to Chris. They would throw Chris Christie under a bus, a rather large bus. It would take probably a, like a, a special bus with a lifted bus with four-wheel drive probably to get over him. But 
But it's, it's just the same. They'll throw them under the bus. And it, the um, – they don't get it. They just don't understand what, what these people are about. But they're, they're getting this attention and they think they're going to get some traction somehow with these people who are patting them on the head today and they'll stab them in the back tomorrow. They don't get it. They just, they just feed right into this narrative, this baloney. And it's, it's frustrating to see that. Of course, Nikki Haley came out and uh, Tucker Carlson calls her a child. Um, I think Tucker Carlson knows her better than, than some. I, I know he's had, some, he's had more personal interactions with, with uh, Nikki Haley. Um, I, I personally, I, frankly, I don't think we would do that bad if Nikki, Nikki Haley were president instead of Joe Biden. I think we'd be better off. However, that being said, uh, well, I'm not talking by much. I think Robert F. Kennedy Jr. would be a better president than Joe Biden. I, I think that Mickey Mouse would probably be a better president than – I don't know. I just, Joe Biden has recently – speaking of Joe Biden – oh, by the way, uh, Trump made the comment that he said, he said that uh, Hezbollah is very smart. Oh, he's praising Hezbollah. He's praising – those people aren't smart. They're evil. What – Again, this, he makes a statement like this. Is Mike, Mike Pence's statement was, they're not smart, they're evil. Well, <clears throat> when exactly, when exactly did the opposite of smart become evil? Or when exactly did an evil person not have the ability to be intelligent? There are plenty of intelligent people out there who are evil. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you know, like a Bill Gates or a Be you know, Bezos or whatever, whatever his name is. Zuckerberg. Bezos. Who's Bezos? Who's that guy? Zuckerberg. Oh, Bezos too. For that matter, throw him in there. The Amazon guy. These people are 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 very intelligent. People who run Google, very intelligent, very smart. They're also very evil, in my opinion. The things that Google are do, is, is doing right now, the things that are being that are happening under the Google uh, banner, the brand. It, it, if you knew, uh, and I'm, I'm going to get more into that. That's probably going to be part, more part of my my conspiracy theory uh, channel that I'm try, still trying to develop. I think I'm going to have more time to do that as the as this year spins down. I hope. I got a few other projects I got to work on, but that's I think I think things are kind of finally kind of coming into alignment, some to some degree. So Trump makes this comment that that Hezbollah is very smart, and he was, he was he's very upset with Netanyahu for the security failings that they that they made. I think it rightly so. I think I think this is. I think everybody in the country, everybody in the world is right now saying, what in the world is going on here that, that Israel allowed this to happen? That they had such a security breakdown here. Now, here is my theory on this. I, I want to just step in at this moment and this thought, which will probably lead to something else and I'll never get back to it. But then you understand my show. I, th I think that... What ended up happening, and I've, I've talked about this before. I think I talked about it last week. Israel, for a long time, the, the IDF and the and the, uh, the powers that be over there, they have for a long time had this term called mowing the lawn. And what happens is Hezbollah and the, the antagonists and the groups over there, there's about 30,000 people in Hezbollah that run a country that is made up of about oh, – supposedly about 2 million people. I, I think it's just under 2 million people. And <clears throat> it is very densely populated, no, no question about that. However, it is not one of the most densely populated places on the earth, period. It is not. There are – I could name – 
10 cities in the United States that are more densely populated than, than Gaza is. But this, this is the kind of thing, this is the kind of propaganda that they constantly put out. That somehow that's a bad thing. Now, having said that, I believe the Israelis were looking for a skirmish, something that would happen at the border that would give them the ability to go in and do this mow the lawn thing again. Which is what they do is that, what that, that term, what that means is they go in every so many couple of years, tear down the Hezbollah mechanism and the things that they've been doing and try to get rid of their leaders and try to, so they have to start over again. And it takes about two or three years before they kind of get back to doing their thing again, before they can have another squirmish, as you might say. This, I think this turned out to be a much more organized thing than what they were planning. What they, what, what they were realizing. Um, Egypt has taken a very interesting stance in this whole thing. They're basically, they're, I think they're upset the fact that with the fact that apparently, I don't know, I'm not a geopolitical expert. I'm also not a doctor or a lawyer or a financial counselor. I'm not an epidemiologist. But apparently they, they did, um, supposedly, offer some intelligence that this thing was about to happen. And Israel chose to ignore that or didn't understand it or didn't, didn't believe it. or what, I, I don't know what, what it was. For whatever reason, it happened and they, didn't, they were not, not ready for it. Especially to the tune of everything that actually really, how bad it really got. Now, uh, I've seen video <clears throat> of... Israelis that have um, been you – know, they, they their cars were being – they were on the highway or whatever and there was an attack. There was an ambush and the cars were stopped. And it is really saddening and disheartening to me that because of the gun laws there, uh, these people had no way of fighting back. And, of course, now Israel is doing everything that they can to arm their citizens. People walking around, school teachers walking around with long guns on to protect the children that they are entrusted with. You know, I was, when I was an airline pilot. Um, I was, there's been many times back in the day that I was, especially after 9-11, where they were picking on the crews wouldn't let us carry a water bottle onto the airplane. So, so I'm, I, you know, I ask myself, uh, what exactly are you protecting here? Flight crews were the first ones killed on 9-11. You trust us to fly the airplane every day. If you don't trust us, then send us all home. Just shut, shut, the, whole, shut the whole business down. Because this is ridiculous. It's it just, all this stuff is knee-jerk reaction sometimes. Do we trust these children to entrust them to these teachers? We don't want guns in the classroom. The, the, the children don't have to see guns in the classroom. But just saying we don't want guns in the classroom doesn't mean guns aren't going to show up that are, guess what? not there to protect them, but to harm them. And there's nobody to stop them from doing it. We have federal flight deck officers for airplanes. We could have federal teachers, federal, federalized agents as teachers, sent off to the same training that the federal flight deck officers get. They could be trained in the, air, in, the, in the weapon, and it could be even issued by government authorities, signed off on by, to protect our children. Same kind of training that federal flight deck officers get, which is also, by the way, the same federal, the same kind of training that, the same as far as firearms training, that air marshals get. 
and many other federal agencies get. Why not? It's, I, I don't understand why we're not interested in that, why, why people are so opposed to that. However, let's, let's put, set that aside for a moment. The, the news media is – everybody – of course, not everybody on the left – in the left-wing media, of course, and even – I think even uh, Sean Hannity has made some comments about some of, some of the Trump statements, some of the things that Trump said. Because Sean Hannity shows his hand once in a while. However, most – and this is, this is happening more and more on the left. I'm seeing more people, especially independents, are saying, you know, uh, Donald Trump – did this and he did that. And we can't argue with the fact that he did that and he did this. And actually things weren't so bad under Donald Trump. And maybe, maybe he had some things – he said a lot of things that were right. But then you got this you know, Morning Joe and Brzezinka or whatever her name is, whatever his wife's name is, talking about how ridiculous – now he's blaming, he's blaming Barack Obama and saying Barack Obama's running the White House and blah, 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 blah. Um, Trump's not the only one saying that. In fact, there's a lot of things within the, the right-wing pundits are saying. Most of the people in the current administration are people from the Barack Obama administration when he was the president. The same people are walking the halls. The same people are running the show. The same advisors are there. And may I remind you again that the hand in the sock puppet who is Obama is Valerie Jarrett. No one is talking about her. She, she, and that's the way she likes it. She likes to be the quiet person in the room who only has to show up once in a while, make a comment once in a while. She was Barack Obama's chief of staff for eight years. Years. That's unheard of in a normal administration. Most administrations at least have two. She was there all eight years. Now, stay with me on this. Please understand why the significance. Why am I, why am I picking on Valerie Jarrett? Well, you have to look into Valerie Jarrett's past. Valerie Jarrett... Would st Barack Obama would be having arguments with his staff and he would walk out of his staff. Valerie Jarrett would come walking in and explain, basically pull the staff together and explain why we we're going to do it the way we we're going to do it because Barack couldn't do it. This, these are insider – this is insider information that, it, that basically I, I've heard from a lot of people who were in the staff that have – that of course have left the Democrat Party basically. Who were on his staff, and this, 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 these stories have been corroborated many times over. That she was the one running the show. Why is that? What is that? What does that matter? Why do I care? What, what's what's the importance? What's my point here? Valerie Jarrett also moved in to Barack Obama's home. They're not living. You know, they don't, they don't share a kitchen. But there's a housing – it's like a little housing complex that, that Barack Obama lived in Washington, D.C., which no other president has ever done. And stay in Washington when they get done. He still has a home there. Well, within this home complex, it's almost like a duplex. Guess who moved in with him? Valerie Jarrett. Who, who moves in with their chief of staff after the – or right next door to them, whatever, it just, or within the same home, within the same – under the same roof? Who does that? Now, understand, Valerie Jarrett is Iranian. She is from Iran. You could say she's Persian if you want to say that, to say it that way. Now, 
understand that during Barack Obama's administration, he released a lot of the sanctions against Iran. He gave them a lot of money, pallets of cash, pallets of cash. And exchanged prisoner, it was a prisoner exchange, but it involved a lot of money going one way. The people we got back in exchange for the people that we sent, sent to them. The, the imbalance there was ridiculous, but on top of it was a bunch of cash. Now, of course, the administration's current administration, just, just a day before, uh, the day before the attacks, actually, uh, Blinken, I think, signed off on a release of $75 million just directly that went, that went to Iranian. I think it was actually supposed to go to the Palestinians, I believe, is the way I understand it. So, so it went, went over there somehow. But there was also this, you know, the $6 billion that was being frozen that ended up going, being unfrozen just a month before, less than a month before this, these attacks to Iran. Now, Joe Biden was recently being asked some questions, and the, the person who was asking him the questions in this interview said something about, you know, Iran helping with this attack. And he squinted his eyes together and he said, there's, there's no evidence of Iran directly organizing or having anything to do with this attack. Even though Iran has sponsored and supported Hamas and terrorism in that area for a long time, uh, there's no direct evidence. There's no evidence that they directly affected this, this attack. This attack has been planned for two years. You're telling me that Iran didn't have anything to do with it. The people who are parading around and praising Hamas for what they did. It was that there was a successful thing that they did. The reason it's successful, and here's why, here's why they consider it a success, because Israel is responding in a way that will make them look bad. They're going to use... Now, I've watched these videos recently, by the way, of these people walking around all this rubble. They're walking around in this rubble. Their homes are gone. Our homes are destroyed. What are we gonna, where are we going to go? They're walking around this, this building that's been blown up. They're walking around saying, well, our, home, our homes are gone. Where do we go now? We don't know where to go. Our homes are gone. And nobody stops to think about or peel, like maybe just like stop for just a moment and ask a question. Uh, why are these people speaking English? And, and pretty well, pretty good English, actually. They're, they're, and who's holding the, the phone? Who's holding the, the camera here? Because it's extremely steady. It's got to be on a tripod at the very least. Who carries a, a tripod around and put their phone on? I mean, just who's, who's taking these videos? Who's producing this stuff? This, this is the kind of thing, you know, when, when, when your home is torn down by a storm, when you're, when you're in a moment of devastation, something terrible happens in your life, is there a camera person there to, to capture the, exactly everything, that, you know, everything that happens? It's kind of odd that they just, you know, start into this conversation, the cameras are rolling. Now, I'm not saying that there can't be genuine times when this kind of thing is captured, but it certainly, certainly looks a little ridiculous. A little suspicious to me, considering they're having all this grief and they're talking, speaking in English. And I, it's, it amazes me sometimes that, that we get duped by this kind of stuff. Nobody thinks anything of it. Entire building will be blown up. The only thing that survives is a little sign out front of the building. It says baby formula factory or something like that. Or nursery in English. This, this, is, this happens all the time. So 
So I, w- I want to share this. I d- I've, I've spent a lot of time scouring over the weekend. I, w- I was actually working most of the week uh, last week into the weekend, into Saturday, and uh, spent a lot of time the last few days just, just scouring different opinions, di- trying to find the best information about what's going on in Gaza, the, the relationship between Israel and the, quote, Palestinians. And I've been really trying to educate myself and catch up on everything that's going on there. What, what in terms of what's the history of this place? What's, how did we get here from this, you know, to this point? And what is the philosophy of each of the, the sides here? What, what, what people we have to deal with? And then looking at that through the lens of what does Scripture say about this stuff? What really is in the latter days and you know, what's going to happen here? Now, and there's, a, there's a, by the way, there's a little young man. I think he's, a, he's, in, I think he's in his teens, a uh, very young man uh, who ha- has, has, I believe he was actually dead for like 19 minutes or something or 16 minutes or whatever it was. And he had this uh, vision of, of heaven and what was happening and all these different things that he saw. Um, and he, one of the things he saw was war. Um, and he, he, he almost describes this attack uh, at one point. He describes this whole attack almost chillingly to, to huge uh, detail, very accurately. And talks about how this was the kind of the beginning of, of something. And, 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 and the, the, you've probably heard of Gog and Magog, which are in Scripture talking about. Everybody, everybody kind of thinks that this is – that Magog is, is, is uh, Russia or that Gog is Russia. He has a different take on that. He actually says that it's Obama that is behind a lot of the things that are happening. Now, Obama left office. This is during, during Obama's term. Up until 2016, and I think it's like in 20, 2015 when this came out, 20, 2014. And he, he kind of says that Obama was the one who put a bunch of this stuff in place. Now, keep in mind, Obama claims he's a Christian. However, he has no testimony. People, the people I know, people I've ever met, anybody I've ever met who's become a Christian after being raised as a Muslim – having been raised in the Islamic faith or, the, or even Judaism, if you're, if you're Jewish and you come to Christ, there is a testimony. There is a transformation of the heart that happens. There is a revelation, a moment that you will not forget. And you can talk about it. Try to find anywhere in anything that Obama has ever written or anything that's ever been said about his life that you can find a moment of his testimony of coming to Christ. Where is it? Because normally it's pretty traumatic. Or not traumatic, dramatic. It's usually a very specific event so I, I just I just don't believe that there's evidence of Barack Obama being sincere about his conversion experience There was not really much fruit in his in, in, evidence, in evidence of his. So now, am I am I opposed to a Muslim being president? I'm not actually. What I am opposed to, and what I'm concerned about, and all the other things about Obama, he was how he was against same-sex marriage when he ran in 2008, and all of a sudden in 2012 he had a he he evolved on the, on the, on the issue. I'm more concerned about somebody who's not honest with me, quite frankly. If the guy is actually Muslim, 
and he's parading around as a Christian, I'm more concerned about that person than I am somebody who's Muslim and just lets you know it. I'm still concerned about it. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I, I'm more concerned about someone who's being willfully deceptive about it. My opinion is worse. That's just my opinion. That's all I have for you today is opinions. As I was scouring the internet on the whole Israel issue with the, the Jewish people there, I've run into a couple of different uh, really good uh, videos. The, the, the place, if, I, if you're going to watch anything, here's what I would advise you to watch to, to really get a good, a good perspective, in my opinion, um, and then to kind of look at all the other things in kind of a – because they really do a good job of laying things out. I think with, with the facts as well as the understanding of the, the, the Israeli point of view in all of this. And I know the guy's Jewish, so I'm going to I'm going to say this uh, very carefully because I understand there's bias there, and I'm probably biased myself. I have to realize I have to have enough self awareness to realize I'm probably a little bit biased. There's maybe some implicit bias, I don't know, but but I think that the most the thing that has made the most sense to me, I, and I've heard other people argue these all these intellectual people argue about why Gaza uh, is is the oppressed one here and the in. And Israel is the bad guy. Okay, that's well. So let's have a discussion about that. And every time that I hear someone discussing and debating that with anybody, it ends up being nothing but a pack of lies. It's just, folks. It's just they just they say things that just don't add up. Like this, Norman is it Norman Finkelstein? Whatever guy's name is Finkelstein. He's been paraded around on Jimmy Dore. And I'm sorry, Jimmy. I I don't. I like Jimmy Dore because he's honest. With, he's just he's just or he's, he is who he is, and he just he speaks the, the way he, he sees things. He just he's, he, he's not he's not trying to manipulate anybody. And I think he's the kind of guy you can have a discussion with. You can have a a, a real conversation with. That's that's all I ask from anybody on the left or the right. And he's upset with people on the left and the right just as, just as much as I am probably. But he's just got a little bit more of he's got a different leaning in his in his uh, remedy for some of these things. And some of his opinions, I, I, I disagree with some of his opinions. They're a little bit radical. But he had these people on, and one of the, one of the guys he had on is, as an expert, and has had on him, had him on several times now. Is is this Norman Finkelstein guy? And he he shoots out these these numbers, and I and I went over this last week. We had a show where we, I played the, his little thing about half the population of, well, first of all, there's two million people in Gaza, and it's the most densely populated place on earth, according to him. And half the population are children. Uh, 70% of the population are, are refugees or descendants of refugees from the 1948 war. Um, do the math on that. How, how old are those people who are refugees now? How old have they been when they went there? And then you have uh, this issue of half the so half the population is unemployed, and half the population is children. And seventy percent of the youth are unemployed. Well, I, that, that's probably about the same as it is here. I don't, there's a lot of young people who aren't employed here. How, how are you counting these numbers? I just I don't understand how you're getting that. So there are, a million, there are a million children in Gaza, and there are a million people apparently, and I'm assuming the children are unemployed. That's, is he counting those people? Or is he counting everybody who's of, of age to be employed? Half of those people are unemployed. I, I, if half the population is unemployed and half the, half the population is children, then I'm assuming he's talking about the children are, are unemployed. I, I don't know. It's, where, where do these numbers come from? Seventy percent of the youth are unemployed. So that means thirty percent of the youth. Are, what is youth? What are, how are we defining these numbers? Give it. Give us some ages. Are you counting children as zero to twelve, and youth twelve to eighteen or twenty? What are the numbers here? He just throws these numbers out there. 
you know, 80% of the population is food insecure. Extremely food insecure, whatever they could call it. Well, maybe they should maybe take a little more time to, uh, instead of taking the cement that was given to them for uh, building and for, for, you know, infrastructure projects and, and make tunnels. And instead they make tunnels out of it. Hamas takes all that stuff and makes tunnels out of it for, and then they, and bunkers and fortresses. And then they use the pipes that they gave them for, for piping water for, so people could have running water and they wouldn't have to worry about their, their water supply. The pipes that they gave them for that, that's what they make missiles out of. I don't know what they're using for propellant and explosives. I, you know, they're, they're apparently making that kind of stuff too. It's coming from somewhere. All the technology that they're using to, to make this stuff is coming from somewhere. The guns are coming from somewhere. But it's supposedly an open air. Pr- All the things that they're saying, it's an open air prison. It's, well, I don't know how many open air prisons you, you've been, you've seen, but there's, It's a concentration camp. All these things that they're, they're calling it don't add up. They, don't, they do not add up. Why won't Egypt take these people? Why, why isn't anybody picking on Egypt? They're Muslim brothers. I think it's from the north, I believe. I don't know what you yeah, which I guess be south. I'm looking, looking at the map here. But they're, they're not opening up that border, but for some reason Israel is the bad guy. So it's just, it's, but Dennis Prager, they have a two-part series. It's a, it's the, they just put it out about six days ago, seven days ago. It is a two-part series of all of the, uh, explaining the Israeli-Gaza conflict and the history of everything there. It's, it's just like a a marathon. It's all these little short videos put together into a full, I think it's almost like an hour long video. There's, there's about almost two hours of video. I've watched the whole thing. I'm going to watch it again because it's, there's a lot of information in there that just makes sense. And Dennis Prager also gives a little bit of a speech about the whole thing. Now, it, here, and here's the basic way to – this kind of boils it down. In fact, if, I think it was uh, – who was it that did a really good, just a really short – boiled it down to one – basically a little – three-minute talk, and it made more sense than anything else that you'll hear out there. But basically, this is the way it works. If Israel today decided to lay down their arms, their weapons, and say, we want peace, the armies around Israel, their enemies, would exterminate them. It's not about the land. It's not about having land. It's not about being there and wanting to live side by side with them equally. That's not what they want. The Hamas charter literally says, it might have been Ben Shapiro actually that laid it down in just a couple minutes. Not that I particularly like everything that Ben Shapiro says. But he, he it, was, it was laid down, okay, so if, if Israel laid down their weapons, laid down everything and said, we, want, we just want to live in peace. We don't want to hurt anybody. They would literally wipe them off the face of the planet. And it's not just in Israel that they don't want them. They wouldn't, they, they, they would like to see them eradicated from the face of the earth. Now, if the other thing happened, if everybody else, if the people in Gaza laid down their weapons and said, we just, we just want peace, if all of their enemies, Iran and everybody else said, we just want peace. We're going to lay down our weapons. There would be peace. The agitators, the aggressors, are not Israel. I don't know any other better way of illustrating where the problem is here at the root. The very first line 
in the constitution or the charter or whatever you want to call it of Hamas is that they want to eradicate the Jews. They want them removed from Israel, from Palestine, if you want to call it that. They don't want a two-party state, a two, you know, two-party state, or they don't want a, a, a even a, a single state. They want Israel gone. All the Jews gone. Period. They don't care about the land. So, how do you negotiate with that? Every time Israel, uh, Israel many times, I think at least six or seven times over the past, what has it been, 40, 50 years, 40 years, 50, almost 50 years, I guess, 40 years. Over that, over that length of time, about every five years, four or five years, there, there's an offer on the table for them to have a two-state agreement or a one-state agreement or whatever it is, some kind of a deal with peace where they're going to give them this much land and they're going to live side by side or they're going to do something or they have to give up a certain amount of land and that's they, and they get this and we're willing to give you all this if we just live in peace. We just, we'll just have this and you have that and we'll be done. They always say no. Israel is willing to do it. They say yes. The other side always says no. Because that's not what they want. They don't want to compromise. They don't want any kind of, it is, you guys need to go away forever into the abyss. Or we're not going to be happy. We're not making any deals with you guys. That's, so where's the problem here, really? So I'll leave it at that. And it's, it's very clear when you, when you see the, what has happened with the history, uh, with the Romans having taken over, the, you know, Israel, if you want to call it that, uh, all, of, all of Judea and that kind of thing. And then, and then there was the, you know, there, was, there was the Crusades. The Crusades happened because the Muslims had come in and taken charge. Then the British basically colonized it, if you want to call it that. It became a, it was part of the, the British Empire for a while. That's when it, and my understanding is that's when it actually started becoming, it was called that time, then it was called Palestine. Now keep in mind, Islam did not exist until I think it was about 700 AD. Didn't even exist. One of the weird things here, not just, just in reading through all this and the way I understand things is the Radical Islamists over there, they, they do believe that Jesus was a prophet. And some of them believe that Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he's going to be, come back as a Muslim and explain to the Christians that they were wrong the whole time and that, the, that Islam is, the, is the, the way to go and that Muhammad was the, a, a, bigger, a greater prophet than he. And that somehow the Christians missed the boat. They missed the missed everything. Misunderstood everything he said. That that's kind of their explanation for it. Now, if you, this, this, I think this is a philosophy or an ideology that has just kind of grown up in the last fifty to 60, 60 years. I don't because I don't remember this as a child. I don't remember Islam having this attitude, having that kind of ideology at all. However, there's a lot of things that I think we, as, as Western, Western Christian church, if you want to call it that, um, we miss because we just don't get taught things. We, just, we get kind of caught in this bubble over here. We, we don't really understand how the philosophy, everything that's going on over there. Interestingly, enough, I, I read this or I, I listened to a, a fellow this morning. He was a, he's a tour guide. He's, a, he's Jewish. And he's a tour guide uh, in Israel. And he talks about the Christians and how he – how he does his tours and how he explains, uh, you know, he, does he believe that Jesus was a real person who actually existed? Yes. Does he believe that he was a teacher? Yes. Does he believe that he was a prophet? Yes. Does he believe that he was the Messiah? No. And he, when, he, when he's doing his, his 
tours. He, he, he likes to be a part of the story and to basically play into the whole part of being a Christian and how the Christians view the historical land areas over there. And he kind of plays into it, but he's not a Christian. So he's trying to keep, stay very objective and, and, in term, and balanced in terms of the way he does his job. But he said most Jews in Jerusalem, in, in, in Israel, do not really – they have nothing to do with Jesus. And but here's their reason for why – and this isn't in Scripture anywhere. This isn't in the Old Testament at all. This is all stuff that the – basically the oral Torah, if you want to call it that, or the, the – um, commentary by rabbis basically have come up with this. They say that, well, the temple has to be rebuilt. And all of Jerusalem, all, all of Israel has to, has, or all the Jews have to come back to Israel before the Messiah can come. Where is that in Scripture exactly? that you won't find that in the Pentateuch. You won't find that in anything that's the canon or the normal canon. It's, it's, they, they, don't, they have a, a teaching that goes aside from what – and this is developed. So it's, it's not something that they can – well, I'm sure they can clearly bracket this out with their own – with you know, Scripture because they – Every religion does that. They come up with their own stuff within. But they cannot receive him mostly because their eyes have been darkened. God, God has already said that. It, it's, it's very clear that his. Now, I, I guess they believe that when the temple is rebuilt and all, all the Jews return to Israel, that somehow within the midst of that, uh, their Messiah will come. So it's a very, and most, I guess most Jewish people do not read the New Testament. However, when they do, and they don't have anybody else telling them, and here's the, here's the problem with the Western church in my opinion, this, this guy was also saying that he, he spent some time with some Amish people. Uh, this, this tour guide, he said, actually had lived with an Amish family for about a month or two. And it was interesting that they, what they said to him was, well, but the Catholics and the Protestants aren't Christians. Their understanding is that those people aren't Christians. Now, it's interesting that they would say that because the, the, the Amish and the Mennonites – are part of something called the Anabaptists. If you ever get a chance, I don't know if the, the movie is still out there or not. I, sh I should try to find this. It was a movie that was back in the late 80s. And it was a movie called The Radicals. Uh, let's see if it's on here. The Radicals. And... Anabaptist, right there it is. And there's the movie, right there, the Radicals movie, the story of Anabaptists. You can get it. It's on YouTube, by the way. It's one hour and 39 minutes long. If you ever have a chance to, re to watch that movie, it is, it's not the best quality movie made. Uh, it's, you know, it's not like a real high, high, budget film. However, oh, that's nice. It's, it doesn't show that why it's not playing the movie. Why is it? There we go. All right, I just played the That was just the picture. There, there's the movie. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's worth watching. What it is, is, is during the, the Reformation, at the same time the Reformation was going on, and, and Luther's, uh, Luther, uh, Martin Luther was also going through his thing against the Catholic Church, the Anabaptists were being killed and persecuted uh, by the Roman Catholic Church because of their beliefs. And they're, they're, what they show in the movie is the biggest thing is, is the baptism of babies. They believe that, 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 that they showed that that was the difference. Um, 
there was a lot more to it than that. And if you really get into the, the writings and the things that were going on back then, of course, there wasn't a whole lot of writings because they were being burned and they were being destroyed. And there were most of the, most of the uh, leaders of the, of the Anabaptist church back then, very few of them got, got away, came to the United States. But they, they, were, they did. And, and uh, so, so some of those that did, they, they were a group of – they believed in the fulfillment of Judaism. And, and it's, it's kind of a that, – that's where I stand at this point. I don't think they went far enough. I don't think the Anabaptist movement went far enough. But that's where the Mennonites – Actually, the Amish broke off from the Mennonites. Some people think it was the other way around, that the Amish uh, were the beginning and then the Mennonites. Actually, the Mennonites started becoming too, too progressive and the Amish broke away from – the Amish movement or the Amish denomination came from the Mennonite uh, movement. The, as well as the Church of the Brethren, if you know anything about the Church of the Brethren. They're the same. They're both their Anabaptists as well. However, they've, they've really gone off the deep end now. They're, they're a mess because the intellectuals got a hold of it. The progressives from the, the 60s basically now run the church. Anyway, the um, it, it became – after through the whole baby baptism thing, it also became a, a, a what they call the, a pacifist mo- uh, movement. They're, they're, they're uh, non-military – that they basically believe in pacifism, which I I can understand. I, I get it. I grew up with Mennonite. I get it. However, I think there's a, there's a problem with that. If you're going to let someone come into your home and rape your, your wife or your, your daughters, you, sir, are evil. You are immoral for allowing that to happen. Yeah, that's just, just clear. That's just plain as can be to me. Why do you put a lock on your door? If you're a, if you're a pacifist and you have a lock on your door, you're a hypocrite, period. But you won't see a pacifist doing that. So I, it just, it's a weird ideology. I get it. I understand it. I don't, I'm, I'm a non-interventionist when it comes to military stuff. I don't, I think that some of the wars we get into, some of the things we have ha- happen. I don't, I don't think we should be into nation building. I don't, I think, I think it's, it's, I think that much of what the military does is, is actually, Not uh, ethical. Now, I'm not talking about the soldiers themselves as much as I am the people who direct the soldiers. The political junk that goes on and what they use those kids for is absolutely hideous, in my opinion. It's immoral half the time. Now, having said all of that, I think it's important for us to understand that. It seems like some, even some people who are uh, on the outside looking into this thing, they, they, they are people who aren't Christians who may be, may be Jewish or maybe have heard of Jesus and understand his ministry or even have read, even have read the New Testament maybe. Most of the ones who have read the New Testament, especially if they just read it and don't, don't have anybody else telling them what, it's, what, what it means and they get all the religious baloney out of it, they realize some of them have read, have read the, the begots, the beginning of the whole thing of you know, how David as well as Mary came, both came from lineage of King David. I'm sorry, Joseph. Jo- uh, Joseph and, and Mary came from the lineage of David. When they read that, they realize, wait a minute, this is – you know, they, they read through those kinds of things. That some of them have, have that has been the thing that's tripped tripped them to, into into realizing, tripped, you know, it flipped the trigger. It, it just is like, oh, wait a minute. However, the the way the the Western Church 
has so vilified the Jews. This idea of replacement theology, I still hear this from people occasionally, once once in a while. This, uh, the re- replacement theology. No, no, Christians are now the, the chosen people. He's, he's divorced the Jews. It's, it's, not, it's not even replacement theology. It's divorce, divorcement theology. That God has abandoned the Jews because the Christians are now the chosen people. No, it is, it's not. He hates divorce. He, he, he did not do that. They are still his chosen people. However, Christians, the Gentiles, have been engrafted in. It's a very key term. It's in, it's in Scripture. Engrafted into the vine. It's, it's, and it's even throughout Revelation, it show it, it, there's, there's places in the Old Testament as well as the, the book of Revelation, the Revelation of, of John. It, it, there's, there's this whole thing there that, that's connected to this engrafting in. So we are, by faith, children of Abraham. We are, in a sense, Jews who have seen the fulfillment of Judaism. But unfortunately, the Western church does not see it that way. Now, you know, sometimes I wonder how, I, I've got this plan to go see the Holy Land, or to go, see, to go, to, go to Israel in uh, the first part of next year. Uh, there was an earlier group that was going that I, I wasn't going to be able to get off to go with, but the um, so later group. It's actually it's a it's a worship team that actually is is going, and, and I'm hoping to go with that group and get off that time. And because of that, um, what's interesting about that whole thing is, um, you know, I start I start thinking about how is it going to be to be standing. On the on the land in the area on the on the property where he was walking, I don't know how I'm going to react to that. I'm probably just going to be walking around, just kissing the ground, and I don't know what I don't know. It's, I don't know what I'm how I'm going to act. To be that close to where he actually was. Uh, it, to me, that's just, it, it, I don't know. The, uh, <clears throat> the conflict goes on, and I, there's more and more happening uh, Each and every day, of course, we're hearing more and more rhetoric. Uh, of course, now one of the things we're not hearing about is what's going on with, with the impeachment inquiry. All of a sudden, that's taken a backseat. I'm sure that's – there are actually some other uh, news organizations. I mean, there's actually some other reporters now, some CBS and some others, have, have actually come forward and started to ask uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre questions about Biden and his – policies and things he's done and you know who knew what and when and how is how this is all working out what about the funds what are these different things and what about this decisions to do this and do that and what what about you know just different things over here and uh, they're they're dodging all the questions As usual, but it's really become obvious, and some of the reporters are actually getting really angry about this because he's just totally ignoring uh, things that need to be that the people want to know. So we'll see how this goes. Um, now, people like Joe Rogan, for example, this, this is where this this is where they lose. I think this is where the left really loses in big big ways. People like Joe Rogan have now come out and they're starting to see the stuff that they've done to Trump. And again, he's a very he's a very curious person who in, in almost a childlike way just asks questions and 
draws his conclusions from all the different questions he asks all the different people. And I, th I think he's, you know, when you start doing that, when you become, when you become inquisitive like that, this is, this is what happened to H.A. Uh, Goodman. H.A. Goodman was the biggest Bernie Sanders supporter that there ever was. Well, then he started seeing what, what the Democrat Party was doing to Bernie, and he started asking more questions and realizing how, how evil Hillary Clinton was. Next thing you know, he's the biggest Trump supporter you'll ever find. When Jimmy Dore started asking questions, actually, when he really started changing was when the whole pandemic started happening. But it, he also was affected a lot by the Democrat Party and the things, the shenanigans they were pulling. And he started realizing, hey, this is, he started digging into some things and realizing, hey, this, we're being lied to all the time here. The Democrat Party is not democratic. They are deciding, you watch. Now, the, the primaries are coming up. Joe Biden's still running. I think this is, this is either it's going to be a bait and switch right at the end of the primary. But as close as we are to the primaries right now, I don't think that they're going to switch out Joe Biden yet. He's going to, he's going to be the nominee. That's my opinion. He's, he's going to be the nominee for the Democrat Party. Now, it, it, it could still happen. I think they're going to put Newsom in as possibility if things look, look bad. And they're looking bad for Joe Biden right now. For, in terms of poll numbers, it is horrible. It continues to collapse and stay collapsed. And with people like Joe Rogan coming out and basically standing, sticking up for, for Donald, Donald Trump and saying basically things would be better under Donald Trump than they are under this guy. And, and, you know, and seeing right through the Democrat Party and everything that they're doing. I think it's just a matter of time before they realize, hey, we've got to get rid of this guy. But it's very difficult to do. It's an incumbent basically has control of the Democrat Party. So we'll see how this works out. Because you, you realize, I've said this before, it's not just about Joe. It's not, it's not Joe that's ruling with an iron fist here. It's all the people around Joe who will lose their jobs, who will lose power, who will lose all this influence and all the money flowing. They will lose that. Look at the way they, they, they just treated Sanchez. They're, they're treating him really badly. Even, what's his name? Uh, John Fetterman has come out and said, we got to get rid of this guy right, right now. And it's, that blows me away. Because what Joe Biden did was a hundred times worse than what Sanchez did. Is it Sanchez? Whatever his name is. The, the, the senator. I, I, I think I might get him, get him mixed up with – Sanchez might be the Republican guy that was, was just about as much of a mess. But this senator was basically paid, paid, paid to play. He was, he was receiving bribes. He was getting all kinds of money. But to the tune of about a tenth of what Joe Biden has gotten, maybe less than that, that we know of. And they want him to be kicked out. The Democrat Party wants him kicked out. So it's like, what's, what's going on here? Is Joe next? So as we go on through, the, through this stuff and as we, as we start finding our way through the ridiculousness of all this, I was going to look something up now. I can't remember what it was. I was going to look something else up. I can't remember whatever it was. So, um, so I, I, th I think that Joe is going to end up being the nominee because here's, here's the way the Democrat charter is set up. The, the DNC charter is set up. If they have a problem with someone who is the nominee, they don't have to have another primary. Once the primary is done and they put Joe in, then guess what happens? If Joe steps down, he takes Kamala with him. And they can, now, if he resigns right now, Kamala becomes president. She then is basically in charge then of the, the DNC. And the way she will operate, basically, with her, the people around her, they, they will be ruthless. She will then become the nominee. 
And there's nothing they can do about that. If Joe becomes the nominee and then steps down or is asked to be, to be, to be removed, or if he steps down, he takes Kamala with him. Kamala doesn't move into that position. He can step down as the nominee and they can put in whoever, the DNC then can put in whoever they want, whomever they want to put into that position. DNC decides. There are a few people, there's a panel of about 20 people at the top that make a decision. You've heard of these super delegates. So one of the things that Robert F. Kennedy Jr., he went, he went independent because I, I believe, personally, I believe Robert F. Kennedy is going to, to take a lot more people from the Democrat Party and even the left-leaning independents. And by the way, there is a there's an interesting things happening around the world or around the country. Some of the places who are having this automatic or, or uh, much easier uh, registration, voter, voter registration uh, process, the places who are have, have this, some kind of an automatic voter registration system, it's 10 to 1 Republican registrations. 10 to 1. The Democrats are pooping their pants. Because right now, the tide is swiftly, it's swaying. It's it's swinging over to the Republicans because of the baloney that's going on right now in the world. Because the policies of this administration have affected so many things. How many wars do we have going on right now? We We got the war in Israel. We got the war in Ukraine, and we're finding out now that some of the guns that were given to Ukraine somehow found their way to Gaza. There are some lawmakers now that are asking for the serial numbers to be traced to some of these weapons that were being used because they are obviously from, they're they're U.S.-made weapons. So obviously... Not AK 47s. The show has gone quite, quite, quite long this morning and this afternoon. And uh, I'm going to get this thing posted. So I'm just going to end it. Now, tomorrow morning, uh, if I have time, I'm going to have a very early morning show. Uh, otherwise, it will be a late day show because I have to move a boat tomorrow. Finally, going to move this boat from my harbor to where I get it taken out, which is about a six-hour sail. So I will be doing that tomorrow, and I've, I've got to start fairly early in the morning to get that all done. <clears throat> um, once that's done, of course, we will have uh, Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning, there should be a show Wednesday morning, believe it or not. Now, Thursday morning, Thursday and Friday morning are very unknown at this point, how that's all going to work out. It's very possible there will be a show Thursday morning. However, um, it's also possible that it won't happen. They seem to be um, needing to use me quite a bit for all kinds of things lately. So I just, who knows? Oh, oh, oh. God bless everybody. Have a great day. 